Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Knicks podcast, everybody. My name is Tommy Beer, and I am joined by the one and only Charlie Ward. Not only a Heisman Trophy winner and a national champion at Florida State, but also a former first-round draft pick of the New York Knicks. Charlie, how are you? How's everything going? I'm doing well, Tommy. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Can't complain. A little hot here in New York. Um, but uh, oh, besides, good. Yeah, yeah, we're up in the high 80s, 90s. Um, so a little bit of a heat wave, but uh, I'm sure you're used to that down there. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's dive in and talk a little bit about your former team. Um, obviously, the, the Knicks greatly exceeded expectations this season during the regular season, certainly uh, secured home court advantage in the first half, uh, rather in the um, first round of the, the playoffs, number four seed overall. Um, it's actually just the second time since you were on the squad, um, uh, you know, back around the turn of the century that the Knicks had home court advantage in the first round and, and were one of the top four seeds. Um, however, once the playoff arrives, they were walloped in the first round by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the clear MVP of that series was Trey Young, um, who played incredibly well and, and you know, basically dominated the series from, from start to finish. So, you know, it's kind of my first question for you. Um, your thoughts on the defensive game plan the Knicks had against Charlie, uh, the, the, against the, the Knicks had against Trey Young, you know, going into the series and just kind of how that all played out. Um, of course, you know, you, you have to change up your game plans during the course of the series. And um, I missed some of the games, but, I mean, as we see today, I mean, they're, they're doing the same thing against Philly. Yeah. So uh, regardless of what game plan you came up with, they seem to have an answer uh, because Trey Young was dynamic. Uh, I mean, yeah, Trey Young was dynamic. So, you know, when you have that type of player, you just have to work to try to eliminate uh, him getting other guys involved uh, with his playmaking ability and try to make him just only a scorer. But the tough part about it was, you know, he didn't he didn't fall into that trap, meaning he didn't dominate the ball. He made plays for other guys off the pick and roll. Uh, and then when he needed it to, uh, you know, score, whether it was a step back three or some type of uh, bucket, you know, he was able to get it. Um, you know, in the close game, especially in game one, you know, he was the one that took on that challenge to – scored a winning basket. Um, and at that point in game one, I mean, you you were going to make it tough on him, but you weren't going to double him um, like you probably would, you know, later on in the series, just because, you, I mean, he hadn't really given you that, you know, we got to get the ball out of his hands type of mentality or, you know, up until that point, like a Steph Curry or someone that you know Dame Lillard, Lillard, guys like that, where you know their history of making big-time shots. Um, and Trey Young is, is coming into his own in that, in that, that respect. Um, so I don't think the game plan was the issue. Um, it was just, you know, Trey Young dominated the game, you know, with the ball. Um, and then defensively, you know, they, 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 they got enough stops. Of course, the Knicks, they miss some open shots. And when you miss open shots against a very good offensive team, uh, it's magnified. Um, and even if your defense is very good, 
uh, with Trey Young, he, he definitely put them in a lot of different difficult positions in that pick and roll. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I, I, and you mentioned game one against Philly and, and Trey Young lit up the Sixers. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of highlighted, you know, how relatively well the Knicks defense actually did perform, all things considered, against that that dynamic Hawks offense. Um, the Hawks scored more points in game one against Philly than they did in any game um, against the Knicks. And, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the, the open shots that the Knicks missed. I, I think that's, that's kind of, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a huge point, uh, you know, uh, kind of a deciding factor in the series. Series. Um, one last question. One last question on Young. You know, he, he kind of came into the league with, you know, some of the same question marks that folks had on you. You know, a little bit undersized, maybe not able to deal with the the wear and tear of an eighty two game season, etc. Um, but uh, from what you've seen, you think he has the goods to go forward? You think this is kind of the start of a really special career for him? Yes, I mean he'll he'll continue to mature his body, um, put the work in. You know, the extra work that he needs to mature his body very similar to Steph Curry, yeah. um, very similar to Durant. You know, all the guys who, who who come into their own early, you know, have to mature. Their bodies have to mature. And some guys, you know, put the time and energy into it, uh, whether it's, you know, getting extra help uh, with, you know, massages and, you know, strength conditioning coach, you know, nutritionists, you know, just a whole team of people. Uh, that you put together once you start to see I need to get better in this area. And, you know, being small, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's more of a mentality than anything else than the size. And I think, um, you know, Trey Young is very skillful um, and he's big enough to be able to get his own shot, especially in this day and age where, you know, you can't really, you know, be physical with guys. And when you are physical with them, you know, they're, they're become very crafty with the uh, lean-ins. And as soon as they feel contact, they're falling off balance and shooting shots. And so, you know, it just makes it difficult for you to get close to them, play physical with them um, in some form of fashion. And, you know, you're at their mercy, regardless of what size they are, if they got skill. It's a really good point. You know, he he came of age at you know he came into the league at a perfect time. You know, uh, you know, with, with the in the in the '90s against the Knicks, he would have had to drive the lane and deal with Anthony Mason and Oakley knocking him down. Um, you know, the NBA is essentially outlawed that type of physical you know hand checking, etc. Um, so uh, yes, he's uh, he he came into the league at a perfect time for a guard of, of his skill set. Um, another young point guard I wanted to ask you a little bit about Emmanuel quickly. Um, late first round pick, he was thrown into the fire right away. Um, far different from your rookie experience. I think you only played around 10 games or so um, your first year in the league. Um, but I was wondering if you had a chance to watch much of quickly the season and just kind of your thoughts. Um, obviously, I think he exceeded expectations from what Nick fans had expected going into the season. Um, you know, just kind of what you saw from from IQ and uh, what you think he might be able to produce going forward. Uh, well, one of the things you have to really focus on is, you know, a lot of times, you know, you don't know what type of players you're getting when you're getting young players. Uh, you know, I think he was in school for a year, I mean, in college for a year. And so he's, he showed great promise. And, you know, just to borrow a term I mean, from everyone, but I know Coach Thibodeau, he's big on, you know, work, off-season work, you know, putting time in on your game, changing your thought process uh, as far as how you're going to improve 
Um, I think that plays a big part in, you know, how much he improves over the next year. Um, you know, if, if he's going to get in the gym and put the time in to uh, be better and just the things that he's strong in right now, you know, with his shooting um, and, you know, playmaking, uh, you know, being a playmaker uh, in that role, I think that plays a big part uh, in his development as well. You know, changing his body, getting stronger. And like I said, these guys are young. So, you know, working to find time to get in the weight room or, and train, uh, that's going to be very key for them, you know, move, him moving forward. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people didn't really know who he was I mean, or what he was capable of doing. Uh, but he got in and made a name for himself. And now it's up to him to continue to develop uh, what he, you know, established this year because you can't come back the same player um, as you were, you know, the previous year. You have to find ways to continue to get better in order to elevate not just yourself but your team as well. And I think that's one of the things, you know, just hearing and talking to Tibbs, you know, he wants to see that from all of his guys. You saw from Julius Randle this year um, and how he was able to change uh, his game. Um, and, and, you know, he had a very good year. Uh, now, you know, just like everything, everyone else, you got to come back better. How can I become a better basketball player? You know, not just the regular season, but now in the playoffs. You know, how can I find a way to get over that 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 hump in a sense? Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Randall. I mean, obviously, tremendous improvement. One most NBA's most improved player. Um, you know, one of only I think four or five players in history to average twenty three points, ten rebounds, six assists. Um, really can't say enough about how well he played in the regular season. Then obviously struggled um, quite a bit in the postseason. Um, you know, missed some open shots. I don't know. You know, you, you want to give the, the Hawks certainly a, plenty of credit for the defensive game plan, but um, he missed shots that he usually that he made during the regular season. Um, have you had you did that remind you of anything you experienced, whether playing football, playing basketball, where a guy was dominant during the regular season and then in a big spot, you know, you know, wasn't able to produce, you know, his first time in the playoffs, something along those lines. Is that was that did that, that you know, strike you as something that you had seen before? I'm sure it has happened, yeah. um, you know, where you've had great season and um, and then playoffs time, playoff time comes. You know, it's just a different it's a different time. Um, everything speeds up. Um, you know, the play becomes a little bit more physical. People, especially when you plan a team, you know, over and over and over, they make changes um, and you have to adjust. And if you're not able to do that, uh, then you're going to, you know, struggle. And so, you know, with the Knicks, none of these guys really, as far as being, in, you know, with the New York Knicks, they never made the playoffs. Uh, I mean, there are some guys who have made the playoffs on the team, but as a group, you know, they haven't been a, been in that fire together. Um, and I think that plays a big part, and that's why, you know, playoff experience uh, can go a long ways in building uh, something special uh, when you can keep your core group together. Um, and so I think this year was, was a great foundational uh, piece, uh, a building block for, you know, Coach Thibodeau and, and New York Knicks 
um, because they got that experience. Um, of course, the, the, the playoffs didn't go according to plan, uh, but you can't replace that experience that they receive. Um, and even if they get if they exit out the playoffs next year, <clears throat> make the playoffs and exit out the first round, you would like to see some improvement uh, from year to year. And so whether it's, you know, going to a game seven and losing um, or winning a first round series, you want to see some form of improvement, you know, from year to year to be able to continue to build, build upon. Unless they can get, you know, <laughs> unless they can just get somebody to come in and uh, help them take them over the top. Um, you know, you want to see progress from the team, though. Definitely. Um, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because I did want to ask you about, uh, uh, obviously, the, the position they need to upgrade. One of the positions they need to upgrade is point guard. Um, it's unlikely that Alfred Payton will be back. He's a free agent um, and his contract ended at the end of last season. Um, one player that's been rumored that will enter free agency this summer, Chris Paul, has a $44 million player option, um, but it sounds like he's considering opting out of that final year of his contract and, and hitting free agency. Um, do you think the Knicks should make a kind of an all-in push? And, and obviously they're at the start of a, of a re- you would think they're at the start of a rebuilding process. You mentioned they took a big step forward this season, but still have many more steps to go. Um, would you be in favor of them making a move for a guy like Charlie Ward and kind of, you know, kickstarting that, uh, you know, trying to um, establish themselves as legit contenders right off the bat heading into next season? Uh, well, Chris Paul, um, I mean, of course, he's playing for my buddy um, in Phoenix, so I hope he doesn't leave because right. um, he's elevated their team. Every team that he's been on, he's elevated. Yes. Um, and, I mean, I wouldn't see him doing it being any different uh, if he came to the Knicks. However, you know, he's if that is the case, if he moves from Phoenix to New York, then he's basically on a one-year type deal. And so – you know, he's helped Phoenix get to a certain level. Um, and he's playing at a high level. Um, and they have a very good team. But all the teams that he's been on, you know, they've had a chance. Uh, That's the last few years when he was in Houston or when he's in Houston, you know, he had them on the brink of winning. And then he gets injured uh, with a hamstring, I do believe. And, you know, they end up losing that series. Um, and, you know, over the course of this, th- these last few years, he's gotten injured and his teams have, you know, kind of fizzled uh, after he departed. And so I just, uh, I mean, we've seen these types of deals with like a Chris Paul coming in. Um, I would just be not cautious, but I would just want to understand, like, what is, who is he helping to elevate you know one of the young guys uh you know who's he helping to elevate teach grow grow in that position because you got to have you know a plan of action moving forward he's not going to be there for three years um and, and so you know to bring in a guy like that would be ideal um however there has to be a succession plan you know, who, who's going to be his successor and who is he grooming um, to 
become the next Chris Paul, not just in production, but leadership, mentality, those types of things work. But I do believe Derrick Rose has done that for the young guys as well. So I, I couldn't see having Chris Paul and Derrick Rose on the same team. Um, and that probably wouldn't be beneficial for the Knicks, you know, long-term. Um, yeah. You'd probably, probably be better off going and getting a younger player um, that may have some potential uh, to be like Chris Paul, Derrick Rose, um, or a Trey Young, someone that they can groom into a spot uh, that may be the next leader. Yeah, there's some other potential free agents out there, younger guys, Lonzo Ball, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie's going to hit the free agent market, Devontae Graham out in Charlotte, TJ McConnell. So the Knicks will certainly have some options. There are also some other veteran players like the Mike Connolly, Kyle Lowry's out there um, if the Knicks are looking for kind of a stopgap. Um, uh, but, you, you know, you, you mentioned your, your buddy Monty Williams. That must have been a little bit conflicted as to who you wanted to win Coach of the Year. You got Tibbs, who you have a relationship with, and Monty Williams. Um, uh, what, what can you say about the job that, that Tibbs did this year with the Knicks, you know, just kind of in general? Well, I mean, you know, he did an amazing job uh, because they hadn't sniffed the playoffs in a long time. And for them to be, I think they were 10 games over. Yep. Um, 500 which that hadn't happened in quite some time. Um, and, you know, he just got the guys to buy in. The, one, the guys that, he, that they have, the team, you know, he likes their team. Um, and, you know, he got them to buy in to, you know, the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then offensively, you know, Julius Randle had a big breakout year. Um, R.J. Barrett, you know, had a very good year as well. Um, Trey, Trey, is it Trey Burke? No, it's not Trey Burke. Uh, uh, Alex Burks, Reggie Alex Bullock. Burks yep. had a, 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 those guys had had great years. Be interesting to see, you know, how Mitchell when he once he comes back, how he fits into the into the mode uh, of the team. You know, I think he's going to have to continue to develop his game offensively and defensively. You know, just understanding the structure and the discipline that you need. And, you know, he could be your Clint Capella, uh, probably with a little bit more skill. And I just think you just have to continue to, you know, he has to continue to build on what he has. And he did an amazing job. You know, just, to, I just think giving him some stability, uh, that played a big part, his experience uh, in, you know, being structured uh, definitely helps. And, you know, giving guys roles, um, guys understanding their roles. I know that's what we grew up on. Um, and I was a, a, no, that's what I grew up on when I was with uh, the Knicks and understanding, you know, the roles that we had and play them to the best of our ability. And that is what he, he, he did. Um, I'm not sure if the other coaches, you know, had that type of role, but, you know, guys have to buy into that if the team wants to be successful, um, and you know, I think they they did. 
Um, and, you know, I think part of the success for Randall and, and you know, we talked a little bit about, about Emmanuel quickly kind of came right in and adapted to playing in New York. Um, and Randall, after a tough season, bounced back uh, with obviously you play in New York. There's a lot of criticism, um, but he bounced back and played incredibly well. How important is it to find players for the Knicks to find players that can deal with the pressure? Because it's a unique situation being in the capital of the world, um, all the fans, the media attention. Um, how important is it to find folks that are comfortable, that can that can deal with that type of pressure playing in New York City? Well, you definitely need a, a certain type of mentality uh, if you're going to play there. And as you know, I mean, the media can be brutal. Uh, they can also, you know, elevate you but they can also be brutal. And, you know, when you're winning, um, there's two things that can happen. Uh, They're going to find a way to, you know, highlight your winning, whether it's with catchy, uh, you know, headlines, um, or even even sometimes when you are winning, there's headlines of something's not going right. (laughs) So it just depends on, you know, today. But the thing is, you, you can't get caught up into all of that. You know, you just have to continue with the grind. Um, and, you know, I do know one thing, you know, New York, they, they like winners. Um, and when you're winning and you're having great success, as we saw, you know, the people, are, they're going to show up and act out. Um, and and act out means support the team, you know, at a high level. Um, and so I just think, you know, you have to have a certain type of mentality if you're going to be a New York Knicks. I mean, and the mentality has to be, I'm going to do my job regardless of what people are saying. I'm going to be confident in what I'm doing. And I'm going to put the time and energy into making my product, you know, great. Uh, because they're going to kill you one way or the other if you're not doing well. Right. I mean, that's just going to happen. And you just have to know that you can continue to put the work in to get better, or you can just mentally, you know, fizzle out. Do you think that, you know, obviously the team didn't have much success after your kind of core broke up, you, Patrick, um, and then, you know, Alan Houston and, and Spree, uh, you know, the kind of later in, in, you know, incarnation of the team. Um, do you think that, as you, as the when the Knicks struggled over those years, that fans appreciated what you guys did more. Looking back on those incredible, because I mean, obviously every year you guys second, third round finals, um, you know, were making a deep push in the playoffs. Do you think that um, that have that fans were able to appreciate you guys what you guys did a little bit more after the struggles after you guys left? Um, I mean, I, I think they appreciated what we did yeah. uh, while we were there because they showed up every night. Um, supported us. Uh, of course, when we didn't play well, we got booed. Right. Which, you know, that's part of being in playing in New York. But we had, you know, we, we had relatively great success. Um, I know for six years we were in the playoffs. And I don't know if people appreciated it more after we left, but I, I do know that when you were in a famine, <laughs> you um, you appreciate things a little bit more once you receive some, you know, some food, a little, a little, a little success, a little food. Right, right. You're excited about that deal. Yeah. Um, you're happy yeah. Um, because you, you haven't had that in, in quite some time. And so I just think, um, you know, they appreciate it 
the the teams that we were on while we were playing. And when you're going through a family, you have to go back and look, man, when was the last time we had, you know, <laughs> good meal. Some, some, yeah, a good meal or something to eat. Um, as far as the playoffs, a good season. Yeah. Um, good product on the floor, uh, camaraderie. Yeah. Um, all those things they they probably missed. Um, and they probably talked about, but the biggest issue the Knicks had, especially after, you know, even right at the end of my tenure, uh, which, you know, I'm not bitter about it, but right at the end of my tenure, you started to have, um, I mean, when they went through it, there was just a lot of inconsistency in leadership. Um, I mean, you had about four or five coaches, you know, in a 10 year span, which that's not very good. Um, you had GMs, presidents, you know, come and go over a 10-year span. And and then, you know, some of the moves that were, were made uh, probably weren't the best moves from a financial standpoint um, and, and as far as production. And so when you're making those types of decisions and you have that type of instability, you're going to have what we, what we receive. You know, yeah. you don't have consistency, yeah. you know, and, and the play is going to be that way. Yeah, and I just think now, uh, hopefully they can keep this front office together yeah. and the coach and everyone on the same page, you know, so they can continue to move forward. But as soon as they start not being on the same page and who they want to bring in and, you know, all those types of things, you know, pride and egos, at some point you have to say, hey, this is what's best for the team. Um, and let's continue to move forward. And one of the things I heard my buddy Monty Williams say was, uh, you know, even though he and his GM sometimes aren't on the same page, he say we're still unified. And that is the way you, you, that's the way it has to be, just like a marriage. You know, you're not going to always agree, but you have to be unified, you know, when it's all said and done. You mentioned that that's the playoff run six years. Was there one loss that sticks out to you as the most painful looking back on it? Um, one loss? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, no, that was not one loss I mean, outside of losing in the finals. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we just didn't have what it took to to make it, you know, in the finals. But, you know, if I had to say a loss, the loss would be losing Patrick and LJ in the finals. Yeah. Um was was a big loss for us because we just didn't have the the manpower to be able to handle, you know, San Antonio. I mean, we had guys, right. but losing those two guys to be able to have in your arsenal um offensively and defensively, you know, played a big part with thinking just us not being as competitive as we probably could have been. Was there one particular game that you remember as far a win, a moment, a shot you hit, or something along those lines that you kind of, you know, it's, it's special to you and, you know, kind of stands out above the rest? Uh, well, a really great game when it came from an offensive standpoint and making an impact was uh, the May 20th game. Of, it was a Mother's Day. Uh, actually, my son's first, my oldest son, his first Mother's Day. Uh, they game. We, we were in the playoffs playing against the Heat. And um, I think I had a, my only 20-point game professionally. 
Uh, and, you know, I had like nine points in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that was, you know, I guess a special moment because it was Caleb's first uh, basketball game. Uh, and it was Mother's Day. So nice. uh, that would be one of my, you know, special games. Awesome. Um, before I let you go, a um, couple quick questions. We got a lot of Knicks fans listening, so we undoubtedly have a lot of Jets and Giants fans. So wanted to pick your brain for a quick second on the Jets selection of Zach Wilson, number two overall. I know you're down there in ACC and SEC country, but I was wondering if you had a chance uh, to watch any tape of Wilson and uh, your opinion on uh, the Jets selection. Um, I mean, I, I watch BYU football. Uh, normally I stay up and late watching football games and BYU is normally, you know, playing at some point in time during those times. And I like him. I think he'll, he'll continue to improve and uh, be a good professional. Uh, but just like any quarterback, just like any player, uh, if you're going to have some success, you definitely have to have people around you. Yeah. Uh, to help elevate you, um, and especially being a rookie, uh, most rookies are going <clears> to <throat> need some support. Um, even if they are dynamic in college and have great, had great success, just they're going to need support because it's just a different level. Um, and it's going to take some time for him to develop. So if he can spend some time watching, um, that would definitely be helpful and beneficial for him. And then once he gets an, gets an opportunity to uh, perform, you know, learn, knowing the playbook, um, having an offensive line that supports you, having a running game <clears throat> to support you. Um, and I think in a defense, you know, that's going to give you opportunities. Uh, and then if you make mistakes, you need a defense to be able to help back you up, you know, and get the ball back or not uh, put you in a bigger Whole. And so I just think, you know, we talk about the quarterback position and that position being elevated is it's more so not just one person, but the actual team around them, especially being a rookie. Yeah. Um, and so three years from now, just like Sam Donald, I just hope they don't get to a point where they have another coaching change. Another decision on do we need a different quarterback because this quarterback hadn't been in a stable situation since he's been there. And we keep going back to the same narrative, just like the Knicks, just like all the other businesses that that are run uh, with instability, you're going to have the same results. And I don't care who you bring in. If you don't have stability at the head position, and they're not on the same page with the president, the GM, you're going to have instability. As much as people want to win, it's just, it's food gold. Um, were you surprised they took Wilson over the Justin Fields or Trey Lance's or some, you know, some other guys that they were looking at? Or do you think that Wilson, you know, from, from what you saw, that, that Wilson was the guy at two above those other two QBs? They they all have the same issues. Yeah, there there's something that <clears throat> there's something that's intriguing about all of them, and then there's things that they're all going to have to learn. And so I, I just think it's a pick them who you feel comfortable with, 
um, you know, planning your system and, you know, then helping the guy develop over the course of his time there. So regardless of what kind of quarterback you're going to bring in as a rookie, you have to find a way to develop those guys so that they can continue to improve. Um, and development is not having multiple coaches coaching them, multiple systems. That's not development. That's definitely killing a guy's confidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just think, you know, if they can just get that part right, the other part take care of itself. Um, Giants picked Kadarius Tony out of Florida, the kind of diminutive uh, slot wide receiver. Um, what are your, your thoughts on him? You think he has a chance to make a big impact uh, in the league? Yes, he does. He, I got an opportunity to watch him, you know, a lot. Uh, been from here in Florida, he's definitely electrifying. Um, he'll definitely make his mark uh, there, you know, with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Uh, he'll definitely make his mark because he's shifty. Um, as long as he continues to improve, stay healthy. Um, I think that plays a big part in in guys' progression as well. Seventeen games, seventeen game season this year too. Yes, and so you know, if they do a good job of, he does a good job of coming in in shape, uh, preparing himself mentally and physically to play, then he can make his impact. Um, I don't see him right now being an ever down guy. Uh, he may be a special teams. He, I know he, he returned kickoffs and some punts and those types of things, which he could probably do as well. Um, and then, you know, continue to progress into uh, a very dynamic slot receiver um, where he can, you know, make things happen with the ball in his hands. Uh, but, man, it's, it's tough because you never know what a guy is going to, you know, progress to be because he can be one thing in college and then a few things happen here or there, you know, in the pros, next thing you know, you never hear, heard about him or he's moving on to a different team a couple years later because he didn't, you know, produce uh, like they thought he would. And so, but you can only go off what potential uh, you've seen and uh, the, you know, he's he's very dynamic when he has the ball in his hand. Uh, last one for you: the, the both teams, the New York the Jets and Giants, both picked uh, in the second round uh, some some guys down south. Um, Aziz Olujari at the end out of uh, Georgia. Giants took him with their second pick, and Elijah Moore, um, the wide receiver out of Old Miss. You get a chance to watch either of those two guys. Any uh, thoughts on those two dudes? Uh, well, the defensive end from Georgia, I I, I saw him play against Cincinnati. I mean, I've seen him play before, but he stood out against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. And I thought he was special. I think he has great upside as well. Uh, you know, come from UGA, uh, you, you definitely know what you're getting, uh, what type of product you're getting. And he's going to have to continue to improve, you know, just his run game, um, he's, he's a very good pass rusher. Um, so that's another situation where he may be a situational guy his first year or so um, until he can continue to learn and develop uh, and, at that position. And that's okay. I mean, I know you take him high, but, you know, 
a lot of times you want them to play, but sometimes you have to be situational for a minute to be able to uh, fill whatever role it is long-term that you're trying to get them so they can continue to learn, you know, and sitting the first six games, I mean, being situational for the first six games uh, and then, you know, tend to learn and practice and, uh, you know, every now and then, you know, some games, some game situations where you learn the run game um, and those types of things, you know, then later on, you know, he could potentially be an every down guy. Um, so it's just how you, how you want to maneuver. Uh, allows more, of course, I got a chance to watch him a little bit. I think he's the one who had the, uh, the moment against Mississippi State um, where he kind of got a penalty and they ended up, I want to say he's the one, um, but that was my memory of him, if that is him, uh, who squatted in the, after he scored a touchdown, he squatted in the end zone uh, to get the penalty. But his talent definitely is supersedes that, that mistake. Um, and so I just think he'll be a, a great asset uh, to, to them as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Mr. Ward. Much appreciated. Um, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon and hopefully have a wonderful day. All right, you too. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Take care. All righty. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.